The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. As this program is intended to bring into light important aspects about the world of work and how we connect to it, one way we do that is to bring on guests who have purposely chosen their work and or who find it fulfilling. The idea is to provide an ongoing nutritional menu of guests who will share their experience of finding meaningful work, teach us a few things that they've learned along the way, and inspire us to pursue our own career dreams. This week, just three days in Hanukkah, I have the distinct pleasure of having Rabbi Malka Drucker as my guest. Rabbi Drucker is the founding rabbi of Hamakom, the place for passionate and progressive Judaism in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She is the author of 22 books, including the award-winning Frida Kahlo and a collaboration with photographer Gabe Block in White Fire, a portrait of women spiritual leaders in America. Among other things, we'll be discussing her journey to become a rabbi, along with some of the work she's most called to do today. She joins us today from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Rabbi Drucker, it's great to have you with me. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Elise. Um, I was so intrigued when I met you a couple of few weeks ago there when I was in your town, and I'm so thrilled you agreed to come on the show. I think you have much to teach us about your journey and who you are, so I'm looking forward to hearing your, your answers to the many questions I have for you. So to get us started, I know that before you became a rabbi, you were a writer and today have an astonishing 22 books published. So you know I have to ask, as a meeting work researcher, what first drew you to that career in writing, and what have you enjoyed about that? I love this question um, because it uh, reminds me of my mother. I'm a writer because of my mother. My earliest memories are my mother sitting at her, uh, you know, little royal typewriter uh, with uh, three uh, pieces of paper and two carbons between them writing, and my mother wrote for magazines. My mother did not write, however, for like magazines like Ladies Home Journal. She wrote adventure stories for magazines for men that had titles like Ammo and Mail. <laughs> and so when I was about seven years old, you know, I, I I asked my mother, I don't understand this. Like, how can you say, how can you write something that says, I climbed the Matterhorn? You don't ever walk anywhere. Or there was another story she did called Whirlpool of Terror, of being attacked by barracudas in the uh, Caribbean. She didn't swim. I said, I don't understand how you could do this. And um, she said, that's what makes you a writer. So I quick, quickly uh, processed this idea that you you can make up stories, otherwise known as lying, 
<laughs> and, and be paid for it and be praised for it and become famous. And you get to work at home and you, you know, and you could wear anything you want. So I thought that that was a great thing to do. <laughs> um, and then but what really uh, sort of got me started was when my first child was born, and I started reading children's books like Sendak's classic, Where the you know, Wild Things Are. I was so amazed by the quality of these books, and they spoke to something in me. And, and before long, the stories I was making up for my you know, little son were really now much more about you know, writing from a place within myself that uh, was 10 years old and would have wanted to have read the books that I wanted to write. Mm. What a lovely explanation. I can so picture all of this. And I, I, what I also appreciate about what you just said there is just the narration of your journey again. I love how you just seem to weave that into almost everything you seem to talk about. So far in the short term, I've known you anyway. <laughs> Maybe you don't always well, talk like you. that. <laughs> thank you. Well, uh, continuing on then, the reason I, I really was at first so intrigued to have you on the show is that you talk about something that you did when you were 50 years old. You said that you went to into se- you enrolled in a seminary when you were 50. Um, I guess that was 1996. And why the, the reason I found that so intriguing is that in the work that I do as a mini work researcher is people are always saying, oh, I can't possibly change careers. I'm too old or too far along in my, my current career. I can't possibly change too much into it. But you did it. So can you can you tell us a little bit about your journey from working being a full time writer to deciding that you wanted to pursue this rabbi route? Well, yes, I was actually uh, fifty one in nineteen ninety six for the sake okay. of accuracy. I um, in, in my writing um, was now writing about something that was very close to my heart. Many of my books were about uh, my life in spirit um, through Judaism and. I I found myself, even though, you know, I write nice reviews and occasionally I get a letter here and there, I felt very lonely. It, it was clearly a conversation I wanted around this and not simply writing books, which I was glad for the opportunity for the expression of, but it was the dialogue I was really hungry for. So um, I was sitting with a good friend of mine, Mary Jane O'Donnell, who uh, had gone all through Catholic school, and she was my spiritual sister. And she, with her, I could talk about matters of spirit. And one day she said to me, you know, Malka, you, you'd make a great rabbi. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that. And at that time, I was 40. The first run I made for the rabbinate, I was 40 years old in 1985. And when I got to uh, this, to Jerusalem, where the seminary was, most of the students were in their 20s, and, and, I, and I thought, you know, this, this isn't exactly what I want to do. This is not exactly the right place for me. And then I went back to writing, and then somewhere around 1995, 10 years later, the itch really came back hard that I really need to complete this. And it was then that I began my process of, uh, you know, returning and completing it, again, with no intention of having community, only to to have um, a, a deeper learning that was more than just academic. But it went to a place within me that when I, I was uh, forced, frankly, to, uh, in my field work, to have a, a congregation to serve. And I saw that that was it. 
it, it, it's about the villages that we form, and it's about the intention for that village, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, I wanted to make a village, so that led me to being a congregational rabbi, and um, I, and at the same time, the loneliness of you know being you know very connected to what is sort of beyond us. Really, in many ways, being in school and having that glorious opportunity, those are the happiest uh, school years of my life from 51 uh, to 54, uh, when I really, I, I really learned, uh, you know, what I learned. And, and there are times that I really, uh, I really miss that intensity of learning. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful to be teaching what I, what I know now. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm so glad I asked that question. What a what a delicious response! I heard two really cool things that you said there. One is that you were craving the dialogue. As a writer, you really are working, I guess, in more of a monologue fashion, and so getting to move into dialogue makes so much sense. And that when you said that you wanted to make a village, that is that makes so much sense. But for you, for you to describe it like that helps us so much understand what what drove you and where do you get maybe some of your, some of your fulfillment. So I love how crisply you, you helped us understand that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, what's the process? I mean, this isn't, you mentioned that there's, I think you, I heard a three year time frame in there. Maybe, I mean, if I did, if I did my math, right. So what's the process of becoming ordained as a rabbi? Well, I was on a fast track. I mean, I think they, they gave me advanced standing for advanced age, which I want to just, I'll say a little bit more about that, uh, you know, later on about the relationship we have to ourselves at different stages of life. I have now, I mean, when I, when I did this, as I said, I had no intention of serving a community. It was basically my own journey of fulfillment. As it turned out, I was out there from while I was still a student serving. And now it's been, uh, you know, nearly 20 years that I've served. So I would say to anybody not to be ever afraid. We're going to live long lives now, and it's time to harvest that wisdom and to pass it on to others. And I think I'm a much better rabbi in these years than I would have been if I had done this in my 20s. I really do. Mm-hmm. So... The other, the other part of the question, the process, it's actually a five-year track um, that I did in two and a half years. And uh, a good part of the reason they gave me the advanced standing is, is that I had written these books about Judaism. And I was an autodidact, and I had, um, you know, I, I knew what I knew. And and there are shortcomings to uh, my education. I my Aramaic is, is is very weak. My Hebrew is not nearly what I'd like it to be. But I brought other other strengths that I have to the rabbinate, and I'm grateful to be able to do the work. Mm. I appreciate that message so much. I completely concur with that too, Rabbi Drucker, that it is never too late to go on. In fact, the, the, the more that we bring our gifts from previous careers, the, the, depth, the more depth we can actually, I think, pass on. And I love that message So, and concur with it completely. Um, Great. Another thing that I just have to talk about, I certainly love that New York accent of yours. It's never gone, by the way, in case you're wondering, did you lose it, <laughs> You didn't. Um, so I'm curious about, you know, how and why did you make it to Santa Fe? Is there anything about that location that contributes to the way that you practice your faith or your work? Or first, how did you get to Santa Fe from New York? Well, that wasn't a direct flight. 
Um, I, I, uh, I, I, I left New York involuntarily when I was 13 because my mother and stepfather were in what was then the beginning television business. They were writers. So, um, so now I was in Los Angeles, and I never really felt at home there. And as soon as I could make my break, which was about 1992, I came to Santa Fe. And uh, I had been here before, and I thought that it was really a, a remarkable place in its natural beauty, and that it had a very you know interesting population of people who were here. And I know that... When I left New York after being in the seminary for two and a half years, I grieved. I mean, I loved being in New York, and I, and I really wanted to serve there. But there were a lot of rabbis there, and, and, and I knew that I could do something in Santa Fe. I could never do in a place like New York, and I could have a laboratory, and I could experiment with, with different expressions of Judaism and getting people more connected to their inner lives and, and to spirit. And, and people in Santa Fe, you know... That's what they like to do. You know, they don't do that in New York as much. So I, I'm really in the right place. Mm-hmm. Well, I should say, I, I tell you, I, when I, you and I had the occasion to meet for, for Leadership America, part of the reason I decided to do that program was precisely because it took place in Santa Fe. I'd never been, was intrigued, saw the pictures, they spoke to me. It just made sense to me. So I just wondered if there was any connection. So that, that makes sense. I appreciate that explanation. No surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about this, this community here. And if, I, if you tell me the right way to call it, if it's a village or community, but you, you founded Mahakom in about 2000, if I have that right. And I understand it's a non-denominational community, and it's guided by Jewish principles. Um, first, how do you describe it? Is it a village? Is it a community? How do you describe it? Well, the, the name itself, Ha-Makom, means, ha it, it's, means the place in, okay. uh, in Hebrew. And... It's one of God's many, many names, the place. And it suggests that there are places. And if you think about it, you know, that, that, that you, you, you carry memory of that are sacred for you because something happened there that was transforming. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Hamakom really was uh, intended to, you know, I usually call it a community. And it's, um, it, it, its mission statement is, is uh, to be a community of loving kindness guided by Jewish principles. That was the idea of it. And um, it uh, basically uh, it initially attracted many Jews who were like, you know, Buddhists now and uh, lots of other things. And Judaism hadn't spoken to them. And I, it was, for me, it was a special mission to say, no, 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 you, you can find what you're looking for here where you began. And so many people in Hamakom began in that place. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a somewhat different community. You have people who like to be in what they feel is, first of all, there are many men who like a community that is, you know, frankly, uh, led by women, and it has a different energy. And it also is a, a community that, for many, is heart-centered, and that was important too. That that the uh, that that it it provide um, you know an experience for you. Just as you go to yoga, you have an experience. This should not just be uh, sitting in an audience and and having something more come into your head. 
So the people who are in the community, or I think of people who like to, uh, who, who, who don't want it to be boring, and they want it to be meaningful, and they don't expect it to take over their lives. So that is sort of what the intention of our community is. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Very lovely. Uh, I wanted to ask that because I, when you, when you found anything like that, right, that certainly takes a tremendous amount of energy, effort, focus. And I know that there, I think if I read that right in, in some of your books and also on your website that you had help. Um, but certainly it's no small feat to do something like that. And I, I appreciate that and applaud that. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, like, like practically everything in my life, and maybe for all of us, at least this is true, that, uh, if we really had good forethought, we wouldn't do anything. You know, <laughs> so I had no idea what it would be, um, and I. But it's one of those things that I feel very glad about, and and I often have conflict between uh, the writer and the rabbi. You know, and where does the energy go? And um, you know, it, it, it took me a while to to feel, you know, that that this this legacy of of having made community like this for these people for these years. However long it goes, whatever it should become, doesn't matter. That uh, this made a real difference, and in, uh, even if I didn't get reviewed in the New York Times for it, I'm really pleased. Mm. What a wonderful way to take us into a break, and I do want to hear more about that connection and maybe that conflict between being a rabbi and a writer, because I have some other questions designed around that that maybe we'll call that into focus. But it is time for our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Rabbi Malka Drucker, who is the founder of. Hamakam, a place for passionate and progressive Judaism. She is the author of 22 books, including the award-winning Frida Kahlo and a collaboration with photographer Gay Block in White Fire, a portrait of women spiritual leaders in America. We've been talking about her journey into becoming a rabbi. After the break, we'll talk more about some of her other works and some of her, her other loves as well. Stay with us. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal. Ann takes her long-running TV show to the Internet Talk Radio airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Ann Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise 
A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. We're here with Rabbi Malka Drucker, who is the founder of Hamakom, the place for passionate and progressive Judaism. She is the author of 22 books and also teaches Aging to Saging at Rancho La Puerto and joins us today from Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she lives. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Let's pick up where we left off. You were just talking before the break, uh, Rabbi Drucker, about your experience of uh, sometimes loving the the connection of being a writer, but also there is also a, a, con- a disconnect sometimes between writing and serving as a rabbi. So first, let me ask you, if you if you will, um, about what is it that you enjoy about serving as a rabbi? Where do you der- derive your deepest fulfillment? Mm, very good question. Um, I, there, there are a couple of things. One is, very, it, it's all about me. It's very personal. In doing this work, it pretty much gives me almost every day of my life when I, when I go to sleep at night, feeling like, huh, I did okay. Because it's a, because I've had an opportunity to be helpful to somebody else. And, you know, and yes, I'm being paid for it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more than that. I want to do this work because I believe that in some ways uh, each of us who gets what we're really here for, which is to um, to love one another, and to receive love from one another, um, need practice with this and need to hang out with people who sort of pay attention to it. So in some ways, I see my work as a rabbi in a community that, you know, I'll give you a very personal example. Four years ago, I went through a major transition in my life, and um, a, a very, very long relationship of over 25 years ended, and... It was a hard ride, I can tell mm-hmm. you. Mm. Because I had the community, one, there is nothing like being able to serve when you're broken. It's really important to remember that you still have worth. The other piece was that in that community, I also knew that the way that I went through it was being watched very carefully. And that really kept me on a high ground. You know, it, you know, maybe we should all be on that high ground. But it was really, it was important to me to feel that I could go through this, I could survive it, I could learn from it, I could come through it not embittered and not broken by it. So, so that was the other part about being part of a community and being a leader in that community is that it, it, it called me to my highest function. What gives me the greatest fulfillment in what I do is, is seeing people fall in love with each other, mm-hmm. seeing people in this community really uh, develop friendships, um, alliances, romances, Babies are born, um, and then we bury parts of the community, people in the community, you know. And having the opportunity to, to draw near to people at such times in their lives is, for me, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest fulfillment because I feel like that, you know, that's where the juice is. That's where the divine lives is in such moments, and that I can be there. You know, not not as a star, but as 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 an extra in their play, but to be helpful, 
and that this community that we've put together has helped people through many, many of their life cycle events in, in joy and in sorrow. When I see that this community really does that, I think, oh, boy, I'm so glad. Mm. Boy, that was just an, an incredibly delicious response, Rabbi Drucker. And I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you say that again, but the way that you narrated it is so wonderful for our listeners and for me to get to listen to, um, to get to live on that level. And that's what you get to do for work. Again, you can see again why I did I want you to have you on the, on the show <laughs> to make more sense. <laughs> Well, well, let's get into the notion of leadership. A couple of things that you said, you know, called to your, your highest um, function in, 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 the, in this role. What a wonderful way to say that as a leader. And, and, and one of the things I was intrigued, I looked at your long list of books and I thought, well, I can't read them all. I wish I'd, I, at least not, not immediately. I'd like to over some course of time. Let me at least pick one before the interview. And so I did pick up White Fire, A Portrait of Women's Spiritual Leaders in America. And I know that for that book, you interviewed almost 60 women to learn about how they understood themselves in their work, which is interestingly not very far off from what I was trying to do or have been trying to do in my work as a researcher. So, of course, I'm very intrigued. Um, Yeah, it's quite interesting, the the commonality there. But you say in the introduction, this is quite lovely, you say, I imagine this book as a dinner party where women have eagerly gathered for a conversation about being a woman, a person of faith, and a leader. And when I read different parts of the book there, you captured with such a beautiful and intimate way uh, the dialogue that you had with these women. They really opened up to you, which, of course, tells me that you were quite a good interviewer. Um, you know, they shared dreams, heartbreaks, intimacies, all kinds of really amazing things. But um, leadership is very interesting. You've talked about that. But I'd like to know what prompted you to gather these stories and write this book. Well, uh, th- that's a, a wonderful question, too. I I remember the moment I was walking down Broadway on the Upper West Side, and I was about uh, three months away from being ordained. And I, and I just got this thought. I think, I wonder if other you know, women spiritual leaders wonder what to wear at a, at, at a wedding that you officiate at, and you're also a guest. You know, mm. questions like that. Um, I wonder if um, men are called by their first names as much as women, clergy, you know? So, and, and I wondered, you know, did they also feel, many of them, uh, perhaps odd in a new role that women had never taken before, in many cases, you know? So I looked at all of that, and then I had this idea, oh, wow, I want to talk to witches, and I want to talk to nuns and Episcopal priests and, you know, all, all these women who were women of faith, and, and to see if we could build a bridge over our different belief systems and, and ethnic backgrounds with, with what we had in common as leaders, as women of faith. And as women, and um, and actually, that dinner party came to pass because the year after the book came out, I gathered um, a dozen of the women. They came to New Mexico, and we all stayed at um, Upaya Zen Center. Joan Halifax, who was in the book, uh, her uh, she's the abbot of this. Um, Zen uh, retreat center. And so we had women there who were like Talmud professors uh, dancing with uh, the woman who wrote the book about um, the Yoruba priestess, about, about basically about voodoo. 
And it was just, and I asked each woman to bring your very best teaching, the one that gets you through the night, your mm. best teaching for yourself. And that's what we gave each other, our best teachings. So, mm. I thought it was days. delightful. Sorry, go ahead, Rabbi. I said we spent four days together mm. in that conversation. And there's actually a wonderful video of uh, the Dharma talk where we all ask each other questions and we answer one another. It's really powerful. Is it on your website by chance? You know, it's not. It, I mean, it, you know, in talking to you, I'm realizing it needs to be on the website. It's such an amazing piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it will be. It, I, you know, I'm going to make a commitment to myself in the next six months to get it on there. Yeah. Oh, please, please do. I think people would like to hear that. And I can tell you, for me, having read the book, um, I, what I love is the variety of people that you interviewed. Oh, my gosh, their experiences, their perspectives. And, in fact, I have to tell you, one of the things that went through my mind as I was reading it is I wondered if your openness to and maybe nurturing of other faiths, maybe so as not to just focus on Judaism, occurred partly in conjunction with writing this book. Is there any truth to that? Or was that, did you come to that place already before you wrote the book? Well, you know, it's a very good question. Um, I, I even admit in the introduction that every time I met another woman and, 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 and observed what her practice was, I was feeling sort of the tension of my monogamy to Judaism, you know, mm-hmm. and because, there was, because there were so many wonderful faith paths, including, you know, Starhawk and um, uh, uh, Yanla Van Zandt, you know, the television celebrity, all these people had these amazing practices. So I think in a lot of ways, um, I, you know, I do feel that my mission is, and part of the community that I belong to, the renewal community, is very committed to the idea that there are many, many different ways to get to the same place and that we could help each other. You know, different traditions could help each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think meditation is a brilliant technology. Sure, it helps me in my Judaism. So that's, I think that's, I, I think I had a natural predisposition to, to, to have curiosity about what other people were doing. And, um, and, and, that, and that continues. You know, I'm always borrowing from my sisters and brothers in other faith traditions. Mm, I think that's really remarkable and I and wondrous, Rabbi Drucker. I, I applaud that. I appreciate that. You do, I think, a beautiful job of weaving that understanding and some of the connections into your dialogue about the women that you interviewed. So I, I think that's one of the biggest things that I took away from, from the book. And I, I love that aspect of it. Well, I mean, thank you, Elise. I mean, I think in some ways, too, as I, you know, that, as I reflect on this, that, um, you know, perhaps one of the reasons that Judaism has survived among ancient traditions, you know, so long, is that that we've always just been, you know, like shameless borrowers from other <laughs> traditions to strengthen our own. So mm-hmm. well, it works for me. And and along <laughs> before I forget to tell you, I I am familiar with Jean Houston because I have taken at least one of her of her workshops. So she was ah, yes. Yeah, she's the one person that I that I that I already knew before I read the book. So wonderful to see that she she had a place in your work as well. Yeah, she's terrific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, I want to go on to the next thing that you told me that you were you were quite interested in. You t- you shared with me that you're feeling very called to learning and teaching the ways of the elder these days. Um, first, I'm, you know that's fascinating to me. I got to know why. So, first, what do you mean by the ways of the elder? 
Well, what I mean by the ways of the elder is is that um, the second half of life traditionally is understood to be the time when we collect the wisdom. And the wisdom that we've been, the first half of life has put us in preparation for. So the way of the elder is the one who behaves from that place of power from increased wisdom. Why did I get interested in this? Well, because my hair was turning gray. That's why. <laughs> There's that. And, okay. And I thought, you know, the t- time's coming. Um, and frankly, I, I mean, I had read this book by one of my teachers, Reb Zalman Schachter Shalomi of Beloved Memory. And he'd written this book from aging to saging, you know, a, you know, a, a, a new vision um, for transforming oneself and the world as we age. And I read it in school when I was in my early 50s, and it was like, you know, interesting, like everything is. But it wasn't until I read it a decade later that it was like, oh, boy, now I know what he's saying. Who wants to be 60? It's not fun in this society. This is a society that really only only values what is fast and young, and that there is no place for the one who is 60 anymore. And then, at one time, that wasn't so significant, you know? I remember in my childhood, people seemed to retire at 65 and die at 70. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't a long journey. But we are living with a brand, we have a, a brand new, unique developmental stage of life that no other generation has had before. And uh, Margaret Mead's daughter, Mary Catherine Bateson, has called it adulthood two. <laughs> adulthood divides it because we have 34 more years than our relatives had who were born at the turn of the 20th century. So, you know, it's as significant as adolescence. So when I realized that, wow, you know, I love the pioneering aspect of it, I also recognized the challenges of aging, and I also was glimpsing the secret spiritual adventure of it and and how amazing it was, the things that, in fact, I finally was able to do and grasp within myself. And then I discovered that this could be taught. So that's why it's uh, that's why it's important to me. I think that the world is a, is in a place where it this is the first civilization that has ever attempted to live without the wisdom of the elders. Um, every civilization has called upon the elders to be part of the anchoring of that that community. Um, and here we have a, a huge number of people, baby boomers, coming into this time of life with great physical vigor still and wanting to serve and maybe came through the 60s and want, want to have some sense of completion about what that revolution was about. And this seemed to be the time to step into that. What can we do, not despite our age, but because of it? Mm. How can we become elders instead of merely elderly? Mm. So that's, oh. that's what I'm doing. 
I love it, Rabbi Drucker. I love it. And I'm going to comment more, but we've already gotten to our, our next break already. So I'm going to comment and say something about that afterwards and get more into it. But it is time for a short break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Rabbi Malka Drucker, who is the founder of Mahakom, the place for passionate and progressive Judaism. She is also the author of 22 books, including the award-winning Frida Kahlo, and a collaboration with photographer Gay Block in White Fire, a portrait of women spiritual leaders in America. After the break, we'll hear more about her work with the elders. Stay with us. your better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed have you friended us on facebook yet why not just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for the keywords voice america once you are part of our facebook network you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and new happenings of the voice america talk radio network And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal. Ann takes her long-running TV show to the Internet Talk Radio airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Ann Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're here with Rabbi Malka Drucker, who is the founder of Hamakam, the place for passionate and progressive Judaism. She is an author of 22 books and also teaches aging to saging at Rancho La Puerto and joins us today from Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she lives. We've been talking really about her interest lately, or I should say over the last few years, with working with, with elders, which of course I love, and I love how you've narrated that. And I want to start this next segment if we can. When you mentioned that we're living longer here, uh, one of the things that's been on my mind as a 50-year-old is that I heard a futurist talk about if you're a woman in your 50s in pretty good health, there's a pretty good chance you're going to make it to 100. And I thought, great, I've got more time to achieve my goals and oops, I better take better care of myself. 
So what <laughs> you're just describing about your fascination and working with, with the elders is, is wonderful to my ears because I feel like I'm heading toward that direction. So um, I want to hear more about that. Is there, was there any particular experiences that contributed to your fascination besides the idea that a few gray hairs showed up on your head? Well, I think that <clears throat> I, was, I was very fortunate to have um, young grandparents or active grandparents in my life so that there was always that generation beyond my parents that I recognized were a little different from my parents. Um, they, they were not nearly as worried as my parents were about, about my future, who I was. They could, they could enjoy me just for being alive, the fact that they had lived to see a grandchild. And I thought, wow, you know, when my grandmothers died, I thought, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a grandmother. And I, uh, and then I was, you know, fortunate and I was able to, uh, to have that lovely experience with grandchildren. But I realized whether you have children or you don't have children, what changes is, is that you come to look at younger generations with a very different relationship where you don't have the ego investment. And you're no longer needing to be center stage, but you can be now cheerleaders for these who are now sort of doing, doing the work, you know, that, that we were once doing. But I think that the other piece of that is, is that, you know, I do see that besides a whole generation needing something to do besides improve their, you know, tennis games and, and rack up more miles traveling, there's really a, the idea of, of, of finding what matters in one life, one's life is that you aim your life towards this time of life. If we were in India, say, and we were eight years old, we would look at the 80-year-old in the community, and that's what I want to be when I grow up, because that's the one that's listened to. That's the one that knows something. And that's the one that seems to be able to handle what other generations aren't able to handle as easily. So it seems to me that, um, that, that for the se- sense of having legacy, but also feeling like um, everybody, if we're lucky, is going to come to this time of life. And what models do we have for it where it's a good thing to be, you know? Even if you take the wisest one we can imagine today, the Dalai Lama, for example, the Dalai Lama has continued to do what he's always done for the last 20 years. He's 80 years old now. He can't do it anymore. He needs to do something different. He needs to show the world how to age in a way that brings you a very good finish. That's what the intention of the last third of life is about, is to live the unlived life, and to really complete as much as you can, do your forgivenesses, really look at what you've done to see if you can do better, because that's going to give us the good finish. So when I think about why is this really important, wow, I mean, I, I've, I've sat at many beds at this point, and I've seen many people leave this life with regret. So, mm-hmm. you, know, I decided, you know, that's one thing I'd like to have as little of as possible when I leave. Mm-hmm. And this is one way to do it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, let me let me share a confession around that. I mean, certainly part of the reason I was interested in having you on the show is I got to see you in in, in your element in person, Rabbi Drucker, and you are um, a, a beautiful force. You're eloquent. You're elegant. You walk and talk and speak with grace. And I knew that you were a few years older than me. I didn't know how much older that you were. But I just thought, here's someone who has this incredible base of experience and wisdom to share. And I did look at you as someone who maybe, you know, this is somebody who is a model for me. This is how you you develop your life, develop your career, develop your work in a way that it matters to others. And I did look at you as somebody who, wow, I can I emulate on any small level something that she does? So what you're saying makes complete sense to me. Well, I thank you very much, Elise. You embarrass me, and I thank you. <laughs> I managed to embarrass you on the air. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing here with this teaching. I did look up on, on the Internet here, and I see that you've been teaching a, a course called Aging to Saging, which, of course, I love. Aging to Saging at Rancho La Puerto for a few years. And so I'm intrigued. Um, one, who who's drawn to the course? And it looks like it progresses over a, a couple of days. So what's involved? What people get out of it? Just tell us more about this course. It sounds fascinating to me. Oh, yeah, and I would love it. Everybody who's listening today to come and join me. I'll be there the week of May 16th uh, in 2016. Well, it's essentially, it's, it's, it's about setting forth what you and I have talked about uh, at this moment. And then what's very, very important is it's not just the talking about it or the reading about it. It's very important to do it. So what are we doing? So, so, so what we're doing is, is that we are doing exercises, actually sitting down face-to-face with another person and saying, what I dread about aging is dot, 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 for example. And then going a little bit deeper and going into the imaginal realm and, and imagining what maybe our last day on Earth might be. And I'm giving you a very... Uh, you know, condensed version of what I do and a smattering of it. But, you know, the most important thing is, is to raise these questions for ourselves because we dread them and we push them aside. And we discover that once we actually deal with it, it's not nearly as horrible as we thought. And, and it no longer is perhaps a, a consuming concern, as it may be for people, you know, as they go down the road. The other, the other piece is, is that I encourage people also to write letters to the next generation, to bequeath to those, the, that generation in what's called a spiritual will, all your non-material assets. What do you know that could be helpful to somebody else? And um, so that's another exercise. And, and another one, um, may, I also encourage singing when we get together, because I feel that many of these modalities take us out of our thinking and take us into the place that we have access to the intuition. And the, 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 uh, And most importantly is what I want people to walk away with is, okay, find yourself a buddy. Make yourself a little circle of people, just like women did back in the 70s, creating consciousness-raising groups to birth a new vision of women because they could see it in one another, what the world outside could not yet see. So that's, what I, 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 that, that's my big vision for those who are becoming sages, is to gather as sages and strengthen that part of ourselves 
and support it and cheer each other on in, in doing the work to bring to others and to be a presence in the world that, that we're reclaiming what was always part of civilization. We're not inventing the wheel. Mm. It sounds like a wonderful class. So who comes? Who, who signs up for the class? What, what's obviously not giving away their identities. Is there an age range? Is there a kind of person that tends to be drawn to this? Well, you know, I, I mean, I teach it here, too. I, I, I'm beginning a saging salon okay. this week, I'm, I'm a, a monthly salon. We're going to watch movies and talk about them. We're going to do some exercises. You know, we're just going to hang together. It's not so much like a class. But in, in, at Rancho La Puerta in Tecate in Mexico, this is a great place if you've never been. It, it, yeah. I mean, I'm one of maybe three or four teachers in that week, and you can take any class you want. It has great hiking and, and uh, wonderful uh, yoga and body work and, you know, uh, you know food. Every, it's just a wonderful place. So it's been there 75 years, and it tends to have a somewhat enlightened population, if you will. And I've had people in my class from their 40s up to their 90s in those classes. So it just all depends, you know. I mean, I'll be honest and say, I didn't get into this until I started to age. I mean, but I have met others who are much wiser than I, who come to my classes, who are younger, who recognize, who are like you, Elise, at 50, saying, whoa, this would be really interesting to do a little exploring around. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is very interesting, and I'm glad that we get to talk about this. And I'm also interested that this is one of your your major foci right now. I think this is interesting. And the idea of a saging salon, I love that. That's fantastic. Oh, great. Uh, I don't know. I'll talk with you offline about this, but I may very well be interested in joining for some aspect of this because I do think it's very intriguing, and I do want to age well and, and learn everything that I can from it and in so doing hopefully give something back. So... Um, who knows? I may be in one of those classes. <laughs> I would love that. I would tell you the biggest adventure for me in all of this has been, frankly, it, I mean, it was a three-year training that I did, but the most profound part of that training for me was going into that place that when I was a child that I would call like daydreaming and recognizing that this is a very, very rich and important part of our lives. And most of us, once we grow up, we don't, you know, we don't want to be out there. You know, people think we're crazy, whatever. But this, in fact, if you have interest in growing wisdom, it's where it comes from. And 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 really, what wisdom is is, as Joan Borsinka says, it's the future that wants to emerge. So that's what we're aiming for, you know, the future that wants to emerge, because we've got to think that. That future that wants to emerge is really, you know, part of the uh, part of the great plan, part of part of uh, the richness of our lives. Mm. Well, I certainly feel that way too, and I'm grateful for everything that I have. I'm grateful for my health and everything else. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to those years. I don't look at them as anything like a decline at all. I'm I'm looking upward at them, and so and this sounds good to me. And in fact, good. We've, we've only got just a couple minutes left here, so I want to get two more questions from you really quick if I can. I know you're sure. writing a handbook for sages to help guide this, this, uh, this part of life here, but when is it coming out and what kinds of things will you have in it? Well, I, since I just spoke to the publisher, we're shooting for um, uh, end of June deadline, so I'm thinking it could come out as early as fall 16. Okay. 
Okay. About a year from now. A year from now, yeah. It'll be number 23. Okay. Um, all right. Just a couple minutes left here. I like to give my guests a, a chance to be able to finish, give them the last word, if, if you will. So I want to make sure and give you the chance to say any final thoughts that you have that you want to share with our listeners today and maybe just two minutes or less. Well, I'm, I must say that I think your questions are wonderful and um, and very uh, very thorough and comprehensive. So I don't know that there's much more that I'd like to really uh, you know say to your your listeners today, except that I'm enormously grateful uh, to have met someone like you, Elise, who really um, has this um, interest in really. Uh, Seeing that the, 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 the potential of us as human beings has not even been close to being tapped, and you know, I, I, I have to feel that that the more that there are people of your generation who are really paying attention to these things, that that perhaps we're going to see uh, a somewhat better world. You know, we just have to be patient and ride through this moment, which I see as the birth pangs of a long overdue ethical revolution, the moment in which we, we live. So when I meet somebody like you, it really inspires me, gives me hope, and we all just keep going in the right direction. Mm. What a wonderful way to finish. Well, I certainly want to be part of that forward-moving moving journey and path, that's for sure. So, And I do think that we are completely undertapped in terms of the human potential. I do. That is part of the work that I'm trying to be part of. So you've, you, you've picked that up somehow, and I'm definitely there. That's where my heartbeat is. So I think there's a reason our paths have crossed. And I, I want to thank you for taking precious time from your, from your work and other people in your life to be on the show. It's been wonderful getting to know you better, and also, frankly, celebrating a little bit of Hanukkah on this day. So we're, uh, we're, three, yes. Yes. Right? We're, we're three days in. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Rabbi Drucker. You are very, very welcome, and may the light shine, shine on all of us. Well, thank you. Well, if you want to learn more about Rabbi Drucker, please do visit her website at www.malkadrucker.com. That's M-A-L-K-A-D-R-U-C-K-E-R. She has really been talking about her personal story of transformation and starting completely a different career in midlife, among many other things. And I hope you found her story inspiring and promise never, ever to give up on your own career dreams. Remember, work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.